morning, church. How's everybody doing on this beautiful, sunny day today? Okay, I'm joking. It was pouring rain when I uh, pulled out of my driveway to come to church today. And I I have to tell you this. I have to say, you know, uh, Pastor Troy and I are spiritual parents to thousands of kids, so to speak. How many of you are parents in here? Your parents. And you know that part of being a parent is, is not only saying the good things. You know, you like to give them candy, but they need the vegetables too, right? Well, we're very much a church that when things need course correcting, we do that. But we're also a church that says, hey, when you're getting it right, we want to also say that. There are so many excuses you could have made this morning when you got up to hit the alarm off, to pull the covers up, but you got yourself out of bed. You weren't concerned about your hair getting wet or if you knew where the umbrella was or if your car was parked a little far away. You got yourself here and I just want you to know that 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 atmosphere of expectancy when you are coming and there are some hurdles, that's what is the breeding ground for miracles to happen. So I believe that God is gonna impart something to you today because you took an opportunity where you could have sat back, you could have just said, you know what, I'm gonna watch online today, it's kind of yuck. No, 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 you came You got here, and I believe God is going to show up and do something big in your life today. You agree with that? And I just want to welcome all of you that are joining us online as well. Uh, I see Hawaii is joining us. I'm sure it's looking pretty good right now there. Uh, Colorado, North Carolina, California, Ohio, Virginia, Michigan, and New York. We are so glad y'all give it up for them joining We are so glad uh, that the church gets to come to you. Uh, I want to just tell you, if you're not familiar with how things work here at Freedom House, uh, at all of our campuses, we are not video venues. We have live pastors, live communicators on every single platform here. And so Pastor Troy is at our Lake Norman campus today. Uh, Pastor Matt, my daughter texted me and said, Mom, Pastor Matt, freaking crushed it today. So I love to hear that because when the young people get excited, right, that's something big. Uh, Well, today you get to hear from somebody that is near and dear to Pastor Troy and I. You get to hear from one of our pastors. So Pastor Gerald Brooks is going to come and he's going to impart to all of us. And the thing that's so amazing is you're going to get a little bit of what we get to hear on a regular basis from his wisdom his leadership, and just his depth. You're going to hear that. So what I want you to do today is to give Pastor Gerald, jump up on your feet as he comes up here. Give Pastor Gerald a big Freedom House welcome as he comes to preach today. You can be seated. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to be at Freedom House because uh, I love being in an environment where Jesus is esteemed and appreciated. I love being in an environment where Jesus is welcome. Uh, We understand that Jesus is present everywhere, but that doesn't mean he's welcome everywhere. 
And I love being in this house because he's welcome. All of us have been in rooms where we've been present, but we weren't wanted. Well, in this room, Jesus is wanted. So I love that about it. And I'm so proud of, of Troy and Penny. They're such exceptional leaders and they do such a fantastic job. That being said, uh, I want to talk to you about prayer. And when I was asked to talk about this subject, I really spent some time thinking, what is the prayer that tends to be the prayer over 45 years that I've heard people pray? And whenever they prayed it, there was a sense of desperation about it. What was that one prayer? And I thought about one prayer that whether people were really, really young or they were older like me, that whenever it was prayed or I was asked to pray it for them, it was one of those desperation kind of things. And it is this prayer. I pray that I don't die. The number of times that someone has asked me Pastor, will you pray that I don't die? Is just numerous over 45 years. So I want to talk to you about that prayer, and then I want to talk to you about how you can use that prayer in Easter. That being said, the Bible's clear about our journey here on this thing we call planet Earth. It begins the day that we're born, and it ends the day that we die. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that people don't have questions about the day they're born, but they do have questions about the day that they die. Now, as a pastor, 17 times I've been in a room where I was holding the hand of somebody when they took their last breath and they left this planet. 17 times. Now, what I can tell you about all 17 times of it, when I've walked out of that room, there are family members, people who have questions. They just don't get this thing called death. They have questions about what happened and why it happened and just the nature of death. Now, here's one of the things that I found in life is that wherever we have our greatest questions, that's where we need to have our greatest faith. So if we have great questions in an area, that's where we need to have great faith in an area. Now, that being said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I want to tell you, I just want to be transparent what it was like every 17 times I was holding the hands of someone when they took their last breath. Here's what it looked like. It looked like it was dead and it was over and it looked like there was nothing beyond. There was nothing in that room when you looked at them after they took that last breath that gave you any indication that there was any more. They're dead. It's over. But see, here's where faith comes in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Our sight says it's dead. It's over. It's finished. There's nothing more. But verse 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
So wherever you have your greatest questions is where you're going to have to have your greatest faith. So I want to help you with that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, it says this, God has hid eternity in our hearts. It says that when God created us, it doesn't matter what our background is, our education is, it doesn't matter what the pigmentation of our skin is, that when God created us, he put eternity in our heart. There's something inside you that tells you this, that there... There is something bigger than this life. There's something greater than this life. There's something more than this life. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus. There's something inside you that is saying there's more to life than this life. Eternity has been written in the heart. So that person on the corner who says, I don't believe in God and I don't even think there is a God, there's eternity in their heart. That person who says, I don't love Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, there's eternity. There's something inside them that tells them that life is bigger than this. That's not only true, but God made you very, very specific. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely, spirit, soul, and body. Now, that's important because you're the unique part of creation. See, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to open my door, and there's going to be three English pointers that are all going to be waiting for me to open that door. They're going to be happy to see me. Their tails are going to be wagging. They're going to want me to spend time with them. It doesn't matter what's gone on in the day. They love me. It doesn't matter who doesn't like me. They like me. They're there. But see... They're different than me. They only have a physical body and they have a soul. They don't have a spirit. You have a spirit. John chapter four and verse 24 says this. It says that God is a spirit. God made you unique. You're the only part of creation that can connect to God, that can have a relationship with God, that can know God, that can experience God. And so you need to understand that your spirit and soul are not disposable. So you have a bottle of water, you drink it, you find a trash can, you dispose of it. Why? Because you don't need it anymore. But what God says is you have a physical body. You may leave that physical body, but your spirit and soul, they're going to go someplace and they are not disposable. God said they were created for eternity and in you, there is eternity written. Something inside you says that life is bigger than this life. And the Bible then moves responsibility to you. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, it says this, that God calls all heaven and earth to record against you. See, one day, everyone in this room is going to stand before Jesus. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. You're going to stand before him. Well, I don't think there's a Jesus. It doesn't matter. You're going to stand before him. Well, I think there's a different God. It doesn't matter. You're going to stand before Jesus, and you are going to give an account of your faith. Did you believe? 
Everyone has that appointment. It's one appointment you're not going to miss. It's one appointment you're not going to get to avoid. Everyone's going to have that. And, and there are going to be people who say, well, I didn't have enough stuff around me. But God's going to say, I set heaven and earth. All of creation's going to say, everything you needed to believe was put before you. I've set life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose. You have the choice between whether you're going to have life, you're going to have death, you're going to have blessing, you're going to have cursing. You get to choose that. The consequences are yours. You get to decide. Now, that being said... God's written eternity in your heart. But what you have to understand is that death isn't permanent. And when I say death isn't permanent, it means it is an ending down here, but you're going somewhere. In fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, Christians get real happy. Oh, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror over all my bills, over this, over that. But he goes on and he gives you four comparisons. Here's the first comparison. He says, you're a more than conqueror over death and life. Now, no one in this room would write that verse that way. Only God would. Here's what we would write. We're more than conquerors in life and death. God starts with the word death. Why? Because he's saying, after death, there's still life. You're more than a conqueror because after death, there's still life. There's still life going on. Now, Jesus wanted you to understand the sequence of this, so he told the story. I didn't tell the story. Pastor Penny didn't tell the story. Troy didn't tell the story. Jesus told this story. This is Jesus wanting you to get this death thing down. He wanted you to understand what happens at that moment when you are no longer on this planet. And so he tells this story in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. He says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. Apparently, that was the swag that was really in back then. He was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fared well. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores, was laid at the gate, desiring to just be fed with crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died. So this poor guy that, that didn't have anything, he dies. And it says, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. But then it goes on, and the rich man died and was buried. Now, here's the thing. Jesus gives an illustration of two people, two men. He gives us two lives and he gives us two decisions. And what we're told is we're told that the beggar died. He left his body. Remember, your spirit and soul are not disposable. They're going someplace. But this body, he left it here and he went on. And what it tells us is as soon as he died, the angels of God met him and carried him to a place called Abraham's bosom. Now, you got to understand something. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross 
Remember Easter? He hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't risen. So there wasn't access to heaven. But in the Old Testament, they had a place called Abraham's bosom. It was called paradise. It was a precursor of heaven. So when this man died, the angels took him to the precursor of heaven. That's where he went. But when the rich man died, he went to hell. Now, I need you to get this. Two men, two lives, two decisions. Now, most Christians do not like that word hell. Makes them very, very uncomfortable. You know, that hell word, you know, I get the heaven thing. Let's just talk about heaven. Let's just spend a lot of time talking about heaven. But you know, that hell thing, let's just sort of avoid that. That's just uncomfortable. Let's not really talk about that. But you know what's intriguing in the Bible? If you study uh, from Genesis to Revelation, the one person who talked about hell more than any other individual was Jesus. No one talked about hell more than Jesus. You know, that loving Savior, he talked about hell. That one that heals us, he talked about hell. That one that delivers us, he talked about hell. He talked about it more than anyone. I get it in the Old Testament, Jeremiah talking about hell, because God said, I've given you a ministry. You're going to preach to people, and they're never going to listen or respond. Well, yeah, people don't listen and respond when you're talking. You want to use the word hell. But, you know, uh, Jesus used it. He talked about hell, and he talked, and I never could understand it. I never could get, why did Jesus, more than anyone else, talk about hell? And then it hit me one day. It was because Jesus wanted you to know what he was saving you from. He wanted you to know that when he went to that cross, why he went there. He wanted you to know the reason he stayed on that cross when he didn't have to stay. And he wanted you to know why he died on that cross when he didn't have to die. And he wanted you to know why he went in that tomb and stayed there when he didn't have to stay. He wanted you to know that the reason he did all that was to give you an option other than hell. But see, people misunderstand hell. They say, man, you know, it looks, it looks so horrible. But do you understand all hell is is Jesus giving people what they want. It's Jesus giving people what they want. See, we're surrounded with people who say, don't ever mention Jesus around me. They get mad if we ever pray in the name of Jesus. At Christmas, they don't even want us to say Christmas because if we say Christmas, then that has Christ in it. Let's just say holiday season. See, here's what Jesus is doing. If you don't want a little bit of Jesus down here, why would you want a lot of Jesus up there? And see, all hell is, is it's a place absent of anything Jesus. You're not going to hear Christmas. You're not going to hear. And everything about hell is the opposite. Jesus is the light of the world, and hell is outer darkness. Every characteristic of hell is what happens when Jesus is not there. So it's God giving people what they want. Okay, you don't want any of, bit of Jesus? Okay, I have a place for you. There's going to be no Jesus down here. 
but I have a place for people that want Jesus as heaven. And, and let me just say to some of you, because I pastor, I have people who say, well, I want to go to heaven because I want to see my family. Heaven's not about your family. Heaven's about Jesus. Now, I pray your family's up there, but I know people who don't want to go to heaven because of Jesus. They want to go to heaven because of their family. You don't go to heaven unless you want to see Jesus. And so it's about that. But see, whenever you mention this hell thing, everyone says, oh, but what about Aunt Sally? See, everybody has an Aunt Sally. You know that sweet little old lady, that kind lady who gives the best birthday gifts? What about Aunt Sally? But what people don't realize about Aunt Sally is this. From when she was a little girl, every Christmas, she would hear songs that were sung about him. She would hear people as they would talk about his birth. She would walk in to places and, and she'd see all the festivities and lights and it all came back. And see, every Christmas it was God whispering to her, when you couldn't come up here, I decided to come down here. Remember, he's Emmanuel, God with us. And every Christmas he whispered, Sally, you couldn't come up here, so I came down here. But then, every Easter, she would have friends and she would ask them, she'd say, well, what are you doing this weekend? They'd say, well, we're going to church. And she'd say, well, you don't usually go to church. And they would say, but this is Easter weekend. We go on Easter. And she'd hear about Easter. And she would see her friends as they'd go to church at Easter. And during that period of time, it was God saying, I not only, when you couldn't go up there, came down here, but I came down here and I died for you. I gave my life for you. And God's just whispering to her. But then, she was always too busy. Even though all around her, God gave all of these opportunities, she was always too busy. But then she got a little bit older. When you get a little bit older, unfortunately, you go to funerals. And at these funerals, people would read verses like, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And she would go, and she would hear, and she'd hear people talk. And at all those funerals, it was God saying, not only did I come for you, not only did I die for you, but I have a plan for you. All around her through her life. And then one morning, she'd get up and she'd see a beautiful sunrise. And all the sunrise was was just a tiny glimpse of the glory of heaven. Do you think this is beautiful? Heaven. Because the Bible says all creation tells the story. Then she'd see this gorgeous sunset. And it was just God saying, this is just a little bitty glimpse. But then she'd see a newborn baby that is so pristine, so beautiful. 
It's just a little glimpse of the innocence and the purity. But all her life, God was all around her whispering, just saying, Sally, I came for you. I died for you. I have a plan for you. I want you to be in heaven. I want this for you. But she was always occupied, other things to do. She never had time for Jesus down here. My spiritual father, when he was born, was born with three major heart defects. And when he was born, they took him to the Mayo Clinic and the best doctors of that day just said, there's nothing we can do. They were surprised that, that he even made it through childbirth. But they said, he's gonna die. He lived longer than they thought he was gonna live because he got to be 17 years of age. But at 17 years of age, his body's trying to grow, but his heart's just too weak. And so he becomes bedfast. When he's bedfast there, he, he, he's just laying there and he has hardly any strength and he can barely talk just because of his heart not being able to process the oxygen. But as he's laying there one day, he feels himself dying. His sister's at the side of the bed and he turns to his sister, says, go tell mama I'm dying. He talks about how that literally he felt his spirit began to leave because your spirit and soul are not disposable. They live beyond this earth. And as his body began to leave, he said it was like he began to transfer down from the top part of his body, the middle section, down to his feet, and then his spirit. He said he could literally see his bed. He could see his sister getting up to run, to tell, and, and then he began to descend. He said as he began to descend, he could look up. He could see the lights of, of earth, but they began to grow darker and darker and darker. And then he realized he was going the wrong direction. He was descending. He said the darkness was just so intense. The darkness was just so great. And he's trying everything, thinking, man, you know, this is the wrong way. But in front of him, as he begins to descend, he sees the portals of hell. As he sees the portals of hell, he knows that if he crosses, he's not coming back. So he begins to scream out loud, but God, but God, I'm a member of a church. But he kept descending. He said, but God, but God, I've been baptized. But he kept descending. He says, but God, but God, I was christened. But he kept descending. He said, but God, but God, I go to Sunday school. But he kept descending. He said, all of a sudden, there was this voice in a language he didn't recognize that, that just spoke and, and it stopped his descent and he began to ascend and everything shook. And people say, well, if he was dying, why did that happen? It's because there's another piece of the story. When his sister ran out and told mama, he said that he's dying. Mama was on the front porch and she fell down on her knees and she started praying, saying, God, God, and she started praying for him. And if there's anything that I could say to some of you Christians is this. You understand the power of our prayers. We cannot change someone's decision, but our prayers can give someone more time to make the right decision. 
And some of you, you're sitting on the sidelines with some people that aren't going to make it five years down the road. And if you're not praying for them, and if you're not crying out for them, the clock's ticking. See, as much as this church and my church is handing out those five most wanted, do you understand some of those most wanted, unless someone's praying, isn't going to make it to Easter? They could die before. Our prayers matter. When you pray, you create opportunities. But some of you, the only prayer you've ever prayed is a prayer for you. And I would encourage you to act like a Christian and pray for others. But there are people out there that, that, that need our prayers because if we pray and we invite, God will transform. This happened to him three times. He said as he began to ascend, he saw himself slip into his body. He didn't understand it, but three times this happened. After that third time, he realized being a member of a church doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. Going to Sunday school doesn't save you. You have to believe in Jesus and have a relationship with him. It is the only thing. And on his deathbed, he said, God, I need your son in my life. I need him to be a part of my life. And he said on his deathbed, that's when he accepted Christ and he knew his life. Let's be honest. There are people in here. The only reason you're in here is you're trolling somebody. You're dating. You're not here because of Jesus. Some of you, you're not here because you're committed to Jesus. Church is just the place that your mama goes. But one day, when you leave the body, it will not be your mama's decision. It will not be your daddy's decision. It'll not be your girlfriend's decision. It'll be your decision that matters. Because you, God said, he set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, you choose. See, you have a choice whether this is serious or whether this is just another part of the game you play. And for some people, this is another part of the game they play. But one day, when the game's over, your decision is what makes the difference. Jesus wanted us to understand about death. So in his story, he gives us some details. It said that when the man died, the beggar, the angels met him. Because one of the questions I'm asked is because people feel like, well, they had to be so scared. They, they were all alone. You need to understand when a Christian dies, they're not alone. As soon as they close their eyes here, the angels of God are meeting them. They're not alone in some state of darkness. They are being met and brought into the fullness of God's presence. If I can put it to you this way, here's the way it happens. 
and the way you were a little kid and you went and visited some friends, you were out playing and then your parents said, hey, it's time to leave and you got in the car and you fell asleep in the back seat and then your parents drove home but you're still asleep. Your mama or daddy picked you up and put you in your bedroom. You, the next morning, woke up in your bedroom. See, you fell asleep in the car but you woke up in your bedroom. All that happens to a Christian is they fall asleep here and they open up there. God's with you. Another thing people say, well, you know, when I die, will I still have physical form? Now, you won't have this physical body because it's disposable. But you will have physical form. And we know that from this story because when you read it in detail, it talks about the man's eyes. It talks about the man's hands. It talks about the man's tongue. It talks about these physical parts. The difference is, is that you won't have a body that you're totally just absorbed by. See, when we go to sleep at night and we wake up, the first thing we do when we wake up is we go look in a mirror. Why? Because we're conscious of this. But when you look in that mirror, for some of you, it's the consistent prayer. You look and you pray these words, dear God. But you have physical form. Paul put it this way. He said, he said, when he died one time in 2 Corinthians, he said, I didn't know if I was in the body or out of the body. You're just not absorbed. Everything down here, how do I look? How do I feel? And that's what drives us. But up there, you're not conscious of the outer. You're conscious of the inner part of your life. And then people say, well, when I die, will, will, will I still know? Please understand that when you die, you don't get dumber. For some of you, that is a promise of hope. Because it talks about how that the rich man could look up and he could see Lazarus. And he recognized him. See, you'll recognize everyone that you recognize. In fact... I think one of the fun things about heaven will be when we get there, everyone will be looking around and they'll be surprised at who's there. I didn't think you were going to be here. <laughs> and they're going to look at you and say, man, the odds were you weren't coming either. <laughs> but here's the other thing. It's not only that you have awareness, but you don't know less, you know more. Because the rich man looked up from hell and he looked into paradise. And as he looked into paradise, he saw Abraham. Now see, it was impossible for him to know who Abraham was. Abraham had died thousands of years before this. But see, our knowledge and awareness increases. But here's the thing. The rich man looked at Abraham and he said, Abraham, would you go talk to my brothers? If they could see you, they could avoid all this. And Abraham said to him, you know what? If I went and appeared to your brothers, 
they wouldn't even believe it's me. But they have the law and the prophets. He basically said, everything they need to believe is there. And whether it's you or anyone else, whatever you need to believe in Jesus is around you. Whatever you need to believe is already here. You don't need some special appearance from somebody. You're surrounded by the testimony because God said eternity is written on the inside of you. But you get to choose. Some people chose church. They just didn't choose Jesus. Some people chose mama's faith. They just didn't choose Jesus. Some people chose their girlfriend's faith, but they just didn't choose Jesus. One day, you get to stand before Jesus. Saying mama believed will not be enough. You better believe yourself. Another thing about this, when Abraham looked at this man, he said, he said, when you were on earth, you had everything. You were wealthy. You had the best house. You had the best car. You had the best this. You had the best that. And he said, the beggar had nothing. But now he has everything and you have nothing. See, a lot of times we get discouraged in this life and the reason we get discouraged is this. We let this life be the scoreboard. And this life isn't the scoreboard because the score is not kept here. The score is kept in heaven. And there are people who had everything here that will have nothing after they leave here. And there are people who had nothing here that will have everything. If you can only win in one place, win there, not here. Because that's the win that really matters. Here's the thing I can tell you. Everyone in this room, your life consists of two dates. The date that you were born and the date that you die. You don't control either one of those dates. You only control the dash. Is the dash in between meaningful? Did you live a life that was meaningful for God, that was impactful for others? Was it meaningful? You only control that. I've stood at the head of a lot of caskets, but what I know is I've walked into rooms and the, when the potato salad was done, that was the last that person was remembered. Ask yourself a question. Have you lived a life where when the potato salad's all done, when the potato salad's all done, that your life is worth memory? Is it worth There's another story of Lazarus, but it's a different Lazarus. It's the Lazarus that was Mary and Martha's brother. And Jesus was close to this young man, but Jesus was off doing ministry. And when he was off doing ministry, this young man got sick and he died. 
When Jesus came, Lazarus had already been put in the grave. Mary and Martha were upset with Jesus. They said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Please understand something. We're not the first people to complain and say, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Because they were upset. But in there, it says that Jesus began to weep. And a lot of people think that Jesus wept because he was seeing their grief. Not too far from here, there's a man who's buried named Billy Graham. Billy Graham gave an interesting thought. He said, I think that the reason Jesus was crying was because he knew he was about to ask Lazarus to leave heaven to come back to earth. There's nobody who believed that died that wants to come back here. So in a split second, all 17 of those hands that I held, I was feeling sorry for them. In a split second, they were feeling sorry for me because I was still down here. God's called heaven and earth to record this day against you. You get to choose. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just do what I can't do. I can present a thought. I can articulate a lesson, but I can't change a life. I don't know the people that are here that this is just a game to them. They go to church, but they really don't know you. They're not close to you, but you know them. You know the people that are here for reasons other than you. You know them. But Father, what I do know is this. Being a church member at my church or this church, it's not the game changer. It's having a relationship with you. While heads are bowed, I'm going to ask two questions. The first question is this. Do you have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Not asking if you're a member of this church. Not asking if you're a member of my church. Not asking if you've gone through confirmation. Not asking if you've gone through dedication. Not asking if you've been baptized. I'm asking a simple question. Do you know that if you were to die today, that when you take your last breath, that you'd go to heaven? The Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. If you don't know that, I want to pray with you. But there's a second question. Maybe you're here today and you would say, well, I know I believe in him, but are you close to him? Jesus doesn't come into your life to be a part of your life. Jesus comes into your life to be the center of your life. And if he's not the center, today's the day. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, either one of those two areas, I'd like to pray for you. If you'd like to be a part of that prayer, if you would just raise your hand wherever you're at. If you would like to be a part of that prayer, I see that hand, 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 I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. One last time, if you haven't raised your hand and you would like to be a part, if 
you just raise your hand right now. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the only people looking at me are the ones that raise their hand. If you'll look at me. Jesus loves you so much. You've taken a step by raising your hand. You're gonna take another step by praying a prayer. And that prayer isn't a magical set of words, but according to Ephesians 2.8, God's gonna give you faith and that faith is going to change your life. And that faith is going to make sure you're secure. But everyone in here, I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer. You say, well, I didn't raise my hand. I'm not asking you to pray it for you. In church, there aren't spectators. We either help people receive or we receive, but no one just comes to watch. If everyone in here will repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that I would be saved. Today I'm doing that. I believe with all my heart that you are my Lord. Therefore, I thank you for saving me and changing my life forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you raised your hand and prayed that kind of prayer for the very, very first time, that's the greatest of all miracles. If you are already a Christian, you didn't get saved again, you just refocused your faith. But just understand this. Your faith is the bridge between you and heaven. God's given you that faith as a gift. You can know with certainty where you're going right now. It's a blessing being here. I love Troy and Penny so much. You're blessed to have them as your pastors. Go ahead,